Uh, Genesis chapter 1, and uh, we're going to be just reading verses 1 to 2. So why don't you all stand with me, and we'll read these verses together. The Bible says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Father, thank you so much for the word we've already received today, God, the time of worship that we've had, the sweet fellowship that you bless us with. And truly, God, there is no God like our God. Our hearts are settled in peace before you, Father, because we know as we look at your created works that you rule and reign supremely, that God, you in fact are in control even on the worst day in planet Earth, when there's chaos that surrounds us, you are on your throne. And nothing can thwart your divine, eternal plans. And God, we take our hope and our peace and our trust and we place it in you. God, teach us today. Teach us the message that creation every single day declares to us. And may we leave this place having once again received by faith a miracle from the miracle maker. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat today. You know, the time had finally come. Humanity had become so arrogant that they decided they'd evolved beyond God. So a representative from the Society of Naturalists was chosen to tell God that he wasn't needed any longer. This scientist approached God and he said, look, we don't need you anymore. We can do everything that you can. We can create life. We can control weather. We can divide atoms. Everything that you do. And God said, you think so? Let's have a little contest. If you can create life like I can from dirt, then you're right. You don't need me anymore. Okay, you're on, said the man. He immediately bent down, picked up a handful of dirt, and started to shape it. Not so fast, said God. Get your own dirt. I love the strength uh, in which the scripture presents the message of creation. You know, there, there is no argument. It is absolutely presented as a matter of fact. And I mentioned this to you last week. I want to say it again. Cre the creation account is historical, not mythical. It's historical, not allegorical. It is fact, not fiction. And it is reasonable. We'll talk about this a little bit next week. But it is reasonable to look at creation around you and to deduce from creation that there is behind it an, an intelligent designer. It's something that is, an, is a reasonable conclusion, but it is also something that we receive by faith. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, you're familiar with this uh, verse because you considered it over the summer. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. We understand. The word understand means to think deeply about something, to consider very carefully and to come to a conclusion. It is the declaration of the word of God that the things that we see with our eyes and touch with our hands were in fact made out of nothing. When we look at God's created works, we come to the conclusion that for sure we experience their majesty and we understand that God's created works are powerful. They are sublime. They're beautiful. They're intricate. Uh, they're Infinite in a sense, on the macro level, all the way down to the micro level, they are awe-inspiring. I think about how many paintings and frescoes and songs and poems and movies have been inspired by God's creation. And yet, I want to say to you today that the beauty of creation isn't the creation itself. And make no mistake about it, creation is beautiful. How many of you saw the sunrise this morning? You got up early and, and you know it's, uh, it is inspiring and it is extraordinary. As a family, we love to go to California and we love to sit on the beach and we love to watch that flaming ball of fire set as it were across the horizon of the ocean. And it, it's, it's inspiring 
There's an experience that you have. And yet creation itself is not really the object of beauty. The object of beauty is the creator who is behind creation. And God through creation is saying to you every single day, I am here. I am present. I am available if you would come to me simply through faith. Listen, I want to say to you today that creation that you experience every single day is simply a signpost pointing to God. When you do wake up in the morning and you watch the sunrise or you consider the sunset or you look at the beauty of the mountains, all of those things are designed to direct your attention to God. In fact, creation universally, excuse me, creation universally demonstrates the wisdom and the love of God and his worthiness to be worshiped. There is an existential experience that you have with God's created works, but as you allow creation to be a signpost that points you to God, as you recognize the power of God and the majesty of God through his created works, there's only one reasonable conclusion to come to, and that is this, that the creator is worthy of your worship. What do we learn from these verses today? What do we learn about God? You know, I'd mentioned to you last week, it's very important for us to remember that the Bible begins with God, not with us. In the beginning, God, not in the beginning, me. And I want to reinforce that because sometimes even as we approach the study of Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, sometimes it's just like, you know, it is uh, the steel to the magnet, it's the moth to the fly. We can't resist being self-centered. Like we're just drawn to ourselves. But I just want to pause for a minute on these verses and, and make some conclusions about this amazing God who is behind uh, this glorious creation that we see every single day. The first thing I think that we learn about God, if you're taking notes today, is that God transcends time and space. God transcends time and space. Um, just on a side note this morning, the very first sentence of the Bible refutes atheism, it refutes materialism, and it refutes pantheism. So, you know, atheism, the belief that there is no God, like the Bible says, Psalm 14, verse 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Well, verse 1 in the Bible, the very first verse of the whole book refutes the idea that there is no God in the beginning God. In the beginning God created, it refutes the idea of materialism, which is very popular today. Simply the idea that all that exists in this universe is, is the material elements of the universe, whether a, a, a quark, whether a mountain, whether the various elements, that there is no God, that there is no spirit in man, that there is no life after death, that there is nothing that is eternal. Well, the first verse in the Bible refutes that because we know that beyond this material world that we live in, there in fact is a God. And he doesn't just transcend the created universe, he permeates it in fact. And not only that, it refutes pantheism, the idea that that. Uh, God is creation, or that creation is God. Before the world existed, God was. God was not created. He is the creator. <clears throat> Amen. Psalm, Psalm 90 verse 2 says this. This is just so good. Like If any verse gets you excited today, I hope this one does. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the earth and the world. Hey, uh, obviously, just by the way, the psalmist did not view Genesis as a myth or an allegory because he says it as fact. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. What a verse. <clears throat> what a verse. Man, who is this one that we worship? He is the eternal God. He is from everlasting to everlasting. Before time itself began, what was there? God was there. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's mind-blowing. 
You want a mind-blowing experience today? Think back to time before time. In fact, when there was no time, eternity passed. And just ponder eternity. If you want to make your mind melt and smoke come out of your ears, think about the eternality of God. There is no one like our God. He is infinite. He is the infinite God. He created the heavens and the earth. In fact, the Bible says that the universe spans the hand of God. I know uh, NBA professionals can palm a basketball, and I think that that's pretty extraordinary. I palmed a football, by the way. I don't know if you noticed that last Sunday. And, uh, and because I have a, a pretty big hand, how big is the hand of God? Well, the hand of God spans the universe itself over 90 billion light years. All of that just simply saying that he really does, in fact, have the whole world in his hands. He is infinite. He is infinite. He transcends creation. That sim simply means also that God is self-sufficient. There is no need within God. There's not something that is missing. It wasn't as if God, out of the loneliness in his heart, it wasn't as if this, there was this piece of a puzzle missing in the life of God. And so to fulfill a need, he created creation or he made and shaped you. And I know sometimes we have that high, exalted, elevated view of ourselves like, God, you know, you can't, you just couldn't live without me. You couldn't live without me, God. You, you know, you needed me. And so that's why you made me. No, this, it's better than that. God made you because he wanted to make you, not because he needed you. He is the self-sufficient one, and he is holy. He is holy. He is altogether different from his creation. In fact, creation itself declares the manifest perfections of God. What was God doing uh, in eternity past? Well, he was doing lots of things, but one thing we know for sure that he was doing because he declares it himself, he was plotting, he was scheming your redemption. He was scheming your redemption. redemption. The Bible says that before the world was ever made, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were determining how they were going to rescue you, how they were going to deliver you, because God saw you from eternity past. What was he doing? He was plotting, he was scheming, your rescue. He was scheming your coram Deo, which is Latin, simply meaning that one day you would live in the presence of God, you would live under the authority of God, and you would be able to live to the honor and to the glory of God. That's what the Father saw. Today, you know, you might be feeling a little lonely. You might be feeling a little forgotten. You rolled into church today, and can you believe it? No one said hi to you. All these greeters, really? And the security team, and somehow I slipped through all of them. And you know, in that moment, if you let your, if you let your feelings get away from you, you can feel like, oh, you know what, God? No one sees me. It, even when I come to church, I'm, I'm invisible. And God, maybe that is even the way it is with you. God, I just feel like I'm unseen. I want to tell you today, there is one who sees you. And he has seen you not only in this moment, but he has seen you from eternity past. You've not missed his gaze. You've not missed his gaze. In fact, today he greets you in love. Hey, maybe our team did miss you. Sorry for that. But the Trinity did not miss you. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have not forgotten you. And listen, creation itself at minimum is declaring to you every single day, this is what God says. He says, I love you. I love you. I've shaped and made the world to be a daily revelation to you about how, pardon the word this morning, how, because it's beyond it, how I feel about you. When the sun rises in the morning, it's not just some beautiful sight to behold. It is a reminder that the mercies of God are new every single day. You see the sunrise. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's just this. It is this and so much more. You see the sunrise. It is a declaration of God. And we know that from the, the scriptures themselves. You see the sunset. You know, you, 
you begin in the morning at 5.30, whatever time the sun was up today, and then you go through your day and you watch the sunset, and the sunset reminds you that God has been faithful to you throughout the day. God, yes, it is beautiful. It is extraordinary to behold. But Father, this sun setting faithfully again is just a reminder that, God, you have seen me through. Not just that you've gotten me through, but God, you have seen me faithfully through. You've been sufficient for me. God, you, in fact, are more than enough. You look at the the mountains, you know, we're surrounded by beautiful mountains. I know sometimes they feel like the mountains of Mordor from, from The Hobbit, right? Just desolate, just desolate. Does anything grow here in Las Vegas? Well, plastic stuff does. <laughs> but the mountains are majestic and they're massive and immovable. And the ones in Red Rock are they're monolithic sandstone. They're extraordinary and they're beautiful in all of their colors, and the mountains do declare the majesty of God. I lift my eyes under the hills to see where my help comes from. God, it comes from you, the maker of heaven and earth. I'm saying to you today, I'm saying to you today, you know, pastor, why doesn't God speak to me? God speaks to everybody else, but he never gives me a word. Hello, wake up, pay attention, pay attention. Pay attention to God's created works because every day they're declaring something to you. And I just would say to you, and it's in the home group curriculum for this week, survey the scriptures. Survey the scriptures to see what the authors and the word of God were experiencing when they looked at God's created works. Our God is unlike any other. He transcends time and space. The second thing today is that he is the author of all creation. He is the author of all creation. Look, there is not a thing that has been made that was made apart from him. Every single thing, both in the seen world and in the unseen world, you can reference Romans chapter 8 there at the very end. There is an interesting name here used for God. We're introduced to him in Genesis as Elohim. Now, let me just say this about the word Elohim. It is used in a a variety of different ways, and it really does depend on the context. Sometimes it's used to refer to judges of the earth. Uh, Sometimes it is used to refer to celestial beings like angels and cherubim uh, and seraphim. Uh, But mostly the word Elohim is used referring to God. And in fact, the word here is used just about 32 times in the first chapter of the book of Genesis. And whenever there's a name that's being used for God, you ought to really ask yourself why. You know, there are, very, there, there are many names, many distinct names uh, for the Lord, whether it is his name Yahweh or Elohim or um, Yahweh our righteousness. Uh, you need to ask yourself, hey, what is significant, significant about this particular name And what does it reveal to me about God? Well, this particular name of God, like I said, 32 times here in Genesis chapter 1, it emphasizes consistently the majesty and the power of the Creator. It emphasizes uh, consistently the majesty and the power of the Creator. Um, Side note today for you. El is the singular version of this word. Elohim is, did you like how I added the <laughs> there? Because that's Hebrew and, you know, I needed to stir a little phlegm today to like, you know, get the power of that word. But it is the plural form of the singular L. So um, I think it's appropriate to acknowledge this right, right away in the very beginning of the Bible, chapter 1, verse 1, there is an indication of the Trinity. There is an indication of the Trinity that there is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're going to see that reemphasized later when God says, let us make man and woman in our image. And so man and woman were made in the image of of God. Let us, plural, pronoun. And so already we begin the scripture with this beautiful indication that we worship one God who is in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
Um, they are all together one. They are also three distinct persons. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father, uh, and so on and so forth. You understand. So when you're praying and you're like, Father, Holy Spirit, Jesus, I just pray in Jesus' Father's holy name. I would just say, I would just say pause, all right, and be a little more careful with your prayers. Like if you're hanging out with a group of people, you know, there's Ted, there's Sue, and, and there's uh, Jim Bob, you know, and someone comes up and says, hey, Ted, Sue, uh, Jim Bob, I had to pick hard names, didn't I? I don't know why I did this to myself. And just mixed all of your names together and we're talking as if, like, yeah, you're standing in one group, but you're three distinct individuals. Be careful. Be careful when, when you pray and as you address God. I'm not laying down a law here, but I am saying that he said, when you pray, pray this, our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Listen, we pray to the Father we pray in the name of Jesus, and we pray by the power and the help of the Holy Spirit. Like even in our prayers, we see a demonstration of the triune Godhead. Some have illustrated God's work in creation with respect to the Trinity like this. The Father is like the owner, the Son is like the architect, and the Holy Spirit is like the contractor. Because what you'll notice is that all three persons of the Godhead are intimately engaged in creation. Now, um, don't take that illustration too seriously, but I do think it helps us to understand. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9, Paul was talking about this dispensation of grace where God was going to be, bring redemption to all of humanity, not just to the nation of Israel. Uh, the Bible says this, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. The Father was engaged in creation, but so also was the Son. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The Word, of course, being Jesus, the second person of the triune Godhead. All things were made through him, and just in case you didn't get it, John goes on to say this, and without him, nothing was made that was made. The father was involved in this, the son was involved in this, and then in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, you'll notice that that verse ends by saying, the spirit hovered over the face of the waters. In the beginning, God, the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit created the Hebrew word for created, there are two Hebrew words that are used for create uh, or make in Genesis chapter 1. This word is bara. It means to create out of nothing. Um, the Latin for this is ex nihilo. I mean, it's a very strong word, and it makes a very specific declaration that out of the nothingness, before there was absolutely anything, what could, did God do? God created the heavens and the earth. Kind of back to our illustration that I started with, only God is able to make something out of nothing. I don't know what nothing you're dealing with today. Maybe you've got nothing in your bank account, all right? Maybe, maybe you've got nothing with respect to relationships. Maybe there's a weakness uh, in your life and you feel like there's nothing that you can hold on to. There's no strength that you have I'll talk about this in just a second. You are dealing today with a God who can bring something out of nothing. He can provide. He is sufficient. He is able. But listen, as we consider creation, from light to mountains, from trees to clouds, from cows to the fish in the oceans, creation is not chance made. It is God made. Isaiah 45 verse 12, another great verse. This is God's self-declaration. I have made the earth and created man on it. I, my hands, stretched out the heavens. Of course, uh, quantum physicists tell us that the uh, universe is expanding. So here we have an indication of that even in the Old Testament. I, my hands, stretched out the heavens and all their host I have commanded. Today we've gathered together to worship a God who was like no other. He is responsible. 
The triune God is responsible for creating all things. And the third thing I would encourage us with today is this. God brings forth beauty and purpose from nothing. As we consider these verses, what we learn today about our God, yes, absolutely, he transcends and permeates time and space. He is the author. He is the creator of all things. There isn't a single thing that exists that hasn't been made by him, including you. We'll talk about that uh, in our fourth study. But the third thing that we consider today is that this God that we worship, who is unparalleled as creation itself, makes that declaration. He is able to bring forth beauty and purpose from nothing. He and he alone is able to bring forth beauty and purpose for nothing, from nothing. The Bible says in verse 2, the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. Now, these are very uh, strong words in the Hebrew language. And I will say to you today, we'll talk a little bit more about this next week, but um, there are differences of opinion on what these particular words mean and what they possibly could indicate. Um, but let me give you some synonyms today. Um, it means that the earth was and the heavens were cold. They were unformed. They were unordered. They were seemingly without purpose. They were vac vacant and lifeless. So that's the picture that you have, cold, unformed, unordered, without purpose, vacant, and lifeless. In fact, uh, this particular verse was a verse that Christopher Hitchens, a very infamous atheist, used to use as a reason to reject the existence of God. To him, it was a very apparent paradox that while Christians were making this declaration that, that our God is an intelligent designer, that he is full of wisdom, that all of the things that he does um, are collectively and individually good, he would often say, well, we don't see that here in verse 2. In fact, we see an obvious paradox or contradiction. How is it that this loving God who does all things with purpose and everything that he creates in a moral sense of virtue is good? How is it then that at the very beginning of creation, what you have is you have a heaven and an earth that was without form, that there was darkness, uh, that, that it was vacant and void. And I, I just simply would say this. I mean, I think there's a pretty reasonable and simple answer to that. God is an artist. God is an artist. And what did God do before he made this masterpiece? Well, he created the raw materials. You know, like, for instance, a sculptor, what does a sculptor or a potter do? They take a, a lump of clay that's really without form, that looks like it has no value, that has possibly no purpose. I mean, it's, it's ugly. It, it doesn't, it, it, it's not going to really do anybody any good. And so what does the sculptor or the potter do? He takes, or she, takes that lump of nothing, that lump of nothing, that valueless thing, and shapes it over the course of the process into something beautiful. What does an artist do? An artist doesn't start with a canvas that has a finished uh, work on it. He doesn't start with a masterpiece. He doesn't start at the end. He starts at the beginning. He starts with a blank canvas. And if you're looking at the blank canvas, you're thinking, well, that's not anything special. You know, what, what value is there in that until she takes her brush and she begins to dip the brush in the paint and make the strokes. And then over the course of time, you see materialized before your very eyes, this thing, this masterpiece that was in the heart of the artist actually become reality. And I think that this verse is simply saying the same thing. What did God do? Well, God started by creating the raw materials out of absolutely nothing. And then he took those raw materials and over the course of time, we'll talk uh, next week about how much time it took to create the heavens and the earth. But what did he do? He took those raw materials and he shaped he intelligently designed. Listen, I think the phrase that's really been sticking with me with respect to how God did what he did is he lovingly engineered. He lovingly engineered. You know, he is an intelligent designer, but let me just remind you, he is a loving, intelligent designer. 
When we look at his creative works, we see so many things declared about our God. He is almighty. He is wise. He is filled with love. He's merciful. He's gracious. He is not just concerned with the big things like like the black holes and the nebula and the many, many billions of stars that he has scattered throughout, throughout the universe, but all the way down to the to the finite level beyond what we're able to even see, God is even present there. You know, David, the psalmist, had this sense when he made the declaration, when I was in the matrix of my mother's womb, when I was in that dark place, you know, on the micro level, that's not his word, it's my word, but on the micro level, starting with two cells, God, you were present there making me and shaping me. There is no God like our God. There is no God who can do what our God can do. He turns emptiness into beauty. That's what God does. He turns emptiness into beauty. You know, when I started in ministry uh, in my office, I posted, I put on my wall a poster of the solar system, and uh, I have a picture for you today. All right. I know it's pretty cool, isn't it? It took me a long time to find that picture, so you better be thankful, all right? <laughs> and this was not the poster that was on my wall, but I did, I just put up a poster on the wall of the solar system, and I would consistently look at the solar system and remind myself, hey, if God can do that, look, if God can do that, I know there's so many things that we take for granted in our life. We've just become accustomed to living without them, to living with them without getting the message that comes through them. But I would remind myself, God, if you can do this, if you can create this blazing ball of fire that itself is generating sufficient heat and light to sustain life. We'll talk about the science of that next week. God, if you can cause the planets to orbit uh, elliptically around the sun and our planet to be just the right distance from the sun so that it is teeming and blooming with life. God, if you can order all of this, what is there in my life that you can't handle? God, if you can do that, if you can do that, then you can do absolutely anything. You know, Jeremiah uh, chapter 32, verse 17, the prophet Jeremiah did not have an easy ministry, all right? I mean, he ministered for over 50 years, and there was not one person who responded to his message. His family rejected him. His community rejected him. He was cast into a, a pit of mud and forgotten. There were times where he said, God, really? God, I can't take any more of this. I just don't even want to fulfill this calling that you have on my life. And so there were times where he literally shut his mouth until he said that the word was burning in his heart to the extent where he could not be silent. And what did he do, Jeremiah, as the prophet, regularly, consistently? Don't look at the verse yet. Don't you jump ahead because I'm not ready. <laughs> he regularly, consistently looked at creation as a reminder to him about what God was able to do. And he said this. He said, "Ah, oh, Lord God, exclamation point. Behold, That's, that is a person who is taking in the revelation. Behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Conclusion, conclusion. Listen, there's an, there's an application. There's a conclusion to this. And his was this, there is nothing too hard for you. Oh God, I'm looking at creation and I see what you're able to do. And I'm not just observing it so I can have some existential experience of your creative works. No, I'm seeing through it. I am seeing through it. I'm looking beyond the, just the, the, the visible and the tangible, and I'm making a conclusion because even in creation, your general revelation, you have a message for me. And God, I got your message. I'm looking at all of this, and I'm concluding that even in the midst of great difficulty, there is nothing too hard for you. What are you dealing with today? What are you dealing with today? The same spirit that was hovering over the 
face of the waters today is hovering not just over your life, but he is in your life. If you're a child of God today, the spirit of God, the same spirit that was present in the creation and was working in conjunction with the triune Godhead, the same spirit today works in you. He is the one who is able to turn your death to life. He is the one today who is able to take your chaos and bring order. He is the one today who can take your purposelessness and bring to you meaning. Hey, listen, you're a lump of clay. Thanks for coming today. You are a lump of clay. But through the power of the Spirit of God, He can take you in the midst of your failure, in the midst of your sin, in the midst of your aimlessness, and He can turn you into something that brings glory to the Lord. Are you living that today? You say, Pastor, Pastor, you know what, God? You, you don't know me. God, does, God, God don't have much to work with here. He just doesn't have a lot to work with. There's, there's just not enough. I wish I had more to offer God. And I just would say to you, he is the God who can bring something out of nothing. He is the God who can bring something out of nothing. It's not what you bring to the table. It's what God brings to the table. What you need to bring is you. You just need to bring yourself. Listen, the purpose of preaching and teaching is that through preaching and teaching, God would reveal himself to you. It's like a bridge so that with what is revealed, you would take a step of faith and that you would engage the miracle maker. The purpose of preaching and teaching and sitting under it is not for you to check a box. It's not for you to feel like you've accomplished something spiritual in the week. It's not for you to you know, go through some religious exercise or religious ritual and somehow hopefully balance out the bad and the good so that you've got something to bring to God. No, every time we open the Holy Scriptures, just as every time you open your eyes to see God's creative works, there is a message and God is calling to you to come just as you are, to take a step of faith and to receive the miracle that he has for you. And today I would say to you, some of us in this room need a miracle from God. We need a miracle from God. And, and there's sufficient reason for us to come to God and to trust in him. Yes, for sure, because we see his majesty and power in his creative works. But even more than that, we know it's not just that God is able to work the miracle. It is that God wants to work the miracle. You say, well, how do you know, pastor? Who are you to say that God wants to work in the a miracle in my life, and I got one word for you, cross, cross, the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ declares that not only is God able to work the miracle, but that he desires to. There was no length that God was unwilling to go to to meet the need that you have in your life. And today, listen, today the opportunity is set before you. The revelation has been given. God has made his declaration. You see what the sign is pointing to. The question today is this. Are you going to take a step? Are you going, going to take a step of faith? Today, maybe you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. You need to be rescued. You're lost. You're living in the midst of your failure and your sin. Your life is totally aimless. You've tried everything and nothing satisfies. That's because you've been made for a relationship with God. And today, the, the step you need to take is a step of faith and trust in Christ to save you from your sins, to bring to you the forgiveness that you need, and to repair the breach, the brokenness of your relationship with God the Father. Maybe today as a Christian, there's a miracle that you need in your life, and I could give a list of things, right? I could give a list of things that, that may be represented as needs here uh, in this church, but you know, you know what God needs to do in your life. You know the miracle that God needs to work. Will you take that step of faith today and come to him so that you can say 
amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Let's pray together. Father, we bless your name today, God. So thankful that you have revealed yourself. It's not your heart, God, to conceal yourself or to hide yourself. Father, you love your creation. You love every person in this room and those listening today. And there's a revelation for us to respond to. There's a revelation for us that has been given that has built a bridge to you. And I pray today that, God, there would be steps of faith that would be taken. And your miraculous power today, oh God, would be poured out upon every needy heart. God, upon every needy soul. That today we would see you are the one who brings life out of death. Oh God, you are the one today who can bring real meaning and purpose where there's been aimlessness and confusion. Father, I pray today that you would strengthen hearts to turn to you. This morning, as we're just in this moment of prayer, maybe today, two things today. Number one is this. If you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, God is the creator and he has created you. He's made you for a reason, not to just coast through this life. Not so that you can have some existential experiences and and then, then wrap it up on your last day as if there's no life after death. No, he loves you. And today he's calling you to himself. You've been made for more. You've been made to have a relationship with the almighty creator who is present in this place, who is able to repair what has been broken, to provide the forgiveness that you need for your sins that you have committed, just like I have. Today, there is a gift of everlasting life that he has for you if you would simply re receive it by faith. And so today, if you need to take that step of faith, you've been living without God, but today you want to make a decision so that you can live with God for the rest of your life. If today you want that assurance of everlasting life to know when you take your last breath here on this earth, you will be taking your first breath in heaven. Today to be lifted up out of darkness and sin and dysfunction and chaos, to see chains, real chains broken in your life, to know what real freedom is. Today, if you need to put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, I want to pray for you right where you're sitting today. Would you raise your hand? Stretch your hand up high. This is you. God bless you right here in the center on my right. Thank you in the back on my right. Anybody else? You're taking a step of faith today into the loving arms of God. I see your hand in the back. Thank you, right here in the center. He'll receive you today just as you are. As chaotic and as insane as your life may be, there is a God who loves you. And today he's going to do a work, a mighty work in your life. Raise your hand today. Take a step of faith. Let God do something great. Trust in him. Anybody else? God bless you. Thank you so much here in the center, in the back. I see your hand. God loves you. You can put your hands down. Uh, this is for you as well online. Maybe as a believer today, listen, there's a, there's a miracle that you need. Maybe you've spoken this need to others. Maybe it remains unspoken. But God knows today. God knows, and he wants to do that work in your life. Today, if this is you, and you need to come to the miracle maker as a believer in Christ, I want to pray for you as well. Would you raise your hand? 
this morning, would you bring that need? God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you so much. God bless you in the back on my right, here in the center, in the front on my right. Let him do the work today here on my left, in the front, and in the back. Thank you. Here in the center, in the back. God has been speaking to you. God wants you to come. Don't be in a place where you have not because you've asked not. Anybody else? Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I see your hands. I see your hands. So good. He is so good. I see your hand in the back on my left. Here in the center on my left. All right. You can put your hands down. Oh, God, thank you. Father, we bless your name today for the work of your Holy Spirit in this place. And God, today we pray that you would meet the needs, that you would work the miracles today. We know that you're not only able, but Father, you are willing. And so as these hearts come in trust and in faith, as they come willingly, God, we pray today that you would work those mighty miracles in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank God for what he's doing in your life today. It's a privilege to be able to pray for you and so thankful. So thankful for all of the great things that God does desire uh, to do in your life. Today, if you raise your hand, this is the thing. We're not done yet, so don't like get up and leave or close your Bibles or you know the stuff that you normally do when you've had enough. <laughs> Today, uh, for those of you who have raised your hands, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. Listen, it's good to be prayed for, um, but there's nothing magical about the prayers of a pastor, okay? You need to pray, and you need to... Bring your need to God. God wants to hear your heart. God wants a relationship with you. Maybe you have a relationship with God, but you know what? He still wants to hear his son or his daughter lift up that petition. And so today, maybe the need for you is salvation. For those of you who have raised your hands, it's going to be an amazing thing that God initiates and begins in your life today. Maybe for you as a believer, there's something you need God to do. Today, what we would like to do in this moment is, uh, as Miriam and the team lead us in a song of worship, we want you to stand up and come on down to the front uh, to our uh, follow-up leaders today. I want to lead you in a very simple prayer, all right? It is a prayer of trust and faith in God, looking to the cross of Christ and opening your life up for the miracle that God desires to do. So today, if you raise your hand, stand up right now. Uh, Maybe for the first time, maybe you're a believer. Either way, it's okay. Come on down to the front so I can lead you in this prayer. Here, moving in our midst, I worship you. I worship you. You are here, working in this
Lord, today, I'm just so thankful for what God is doing in your life, and um, just as I do lead these in prayer, listen, if there is anybody else, God's just tugging on your heart right now, and, um, and you know it, you know it, you know God is calling you to take a step of faith today, to bring the need to Him, I just so strongly want to encourage you to not resist what God desires to do. Don't hold back. Don't say no to the working of the Holy Spirit. And all that God desires to do begins right now by saying yes to Him. And so again, if there's anybody else, you can stand up and come forward right now. stand together. just want to lead you in a very simple prayer today. God loves you. This is the good news that we have for you today, that God is a God of love and that He loves you. He is present today to work in your life. And so I want to lead you in a very simple prayer this morning. And I want to encourage you to pray this out loud after me, to pray in faith, to look to God, to trust in Him. To bring your need to him to let him work the miracle follow me in prayer this morning God today I believe that you are my maker that you are my creator and that you love me and today I receive your love through Jesus the forgiveness of my sins, the gift of everlasting life. Pour out your healing power. Lift the burden of my sin. Fill my heart with your light. Meet every need that I have. In Jesus' name I pray. All God's people said. Amen. Amen. Awesome.